This episode of Reality Escape Pod is brought to you by Morty, Escape Tales, Buzzshot, and Patreon supporters like you. Buzzshot is customer satisfaction software for your escape room business. They offer an assortment of pre and post game features, including robust waiver management, branded team photos, and streamlined review management for Yelp, TripAdvisor, Google Reviews, Morty, and more. I knew we had made the right decision to take on Buzzshot as a sponsor when I was at Recon, the reality escape convention, and I overheard one escape room owner trying to convince another escape room owner to use Buzzshot. And they were telling them about just how much better their life was as a result of automating these parts of their business, such as their marketing, taking their photos and handling all the waivers, they said it freed up a lot of their time to run other parts of their business, like running the games and working on building new ones. Streamline your marketing and grow your business at buzzshot.com slash repod. That's R-E-P-O-D. When booking your free trial to get 20% off your first three months. Details in the show notes. Welcome to the Reality Escape Pod, your lifeline when you need a getaway from the real world. I'm David Spira, alongside my co-host, PG Law. Together, we're exploring immersive gaming from all angles, and we'll be joined by guests who really know their stuff. Today's episode, it's just us, PG and I. For the first time since episode zero, more than 40 episodes ago. Hey, PG. Hi, David. I'm thrilled to be here. Thanks for having me on. I'm so happy to have you. (laughs) Has it really been since episode one or zero that we've only been us two on a podcast? It was before episode one. Episode one was Alan Lee. Episode zero was just the two of us. And since then, we have had episodes without guests, so to speak. But those episodes have all featured some combination of Lisa and or Steve. And we started having the guests come on the bonus episode, which has actually been really fun. But I will say that I kind of miss having conversations just us two where we can really kind of dig into the nitty gritty, you know, get in the weeds about some stuff. It's funny because we have grown and changed so much as podcasters and as collaborators It's been a really long time since we've really done this. And as we were looking at what we wanted to do for the wrap up of this season, I got really excited by the idea of just talking about some things and recapping not really the episodes. The episodes all exist, but we want to pull on some of the bigger themes that we have observed and things that we've experienced over the course of recording this particular season, because this one has been an interesting journey for us. So you mentioned that you think we have grown and changed a lot over the course of podcasting. So what were some significant changes or growth that you've noticed? From my vantage point, I feel like we are just both better at this. I think we have logged a lot more experience time. I think we've leveled up a few times along the path. I think that our banter has just gotten a little bit more organic. We do a better job of anticipating what the other one is thinking and is probably going to do. And I don't know. I feel like we gel a lot better. That part has actually been really cool because David and I have a shared Google Doc with questions and things that we both work off of. And like, there's times when I see us changing questions editing questions on the fly, removing them, adding some things, skipping over. And like, I'll look up and I'll see him kind of nod just a little bit. And I'm like, okay. And the conversation just keeps flowing. And it's really cool that we're just producing on the fly, even as we're doing the interview. So I think that part has been really cool to see for me. While we are recording and interviewing our guests, there is this little dance going on silently behind the scenes in this Google Doc where PG and I will double click on a question, the one that one of us thinks needs to be asked next. And that's what those nods are about. And sometimes PG goes and strikes through a question because the guest already answered it. And honestly, this is the first time we're even speaking about this. This happened organically. Yeah. It's not like we discussed any secret codes or like adjusting. It just started happening, which I thought was really cool. 
The other things that I think we've gotten better at, there were episodes early on, and occasionally it still happens, or there's runs within an episode where one of us becomes really dominant and the other one kind of is not all that visible. I think normally if that's happening, I'm the one who's being loud. But we've gotten much better at balancing that stuff out. We have done a lot to just figure out how to work better together and really help each other improve in all sorts of ways. And you have helped me put myself out in ways that I definitely wasn't comfortable before. What do you mean? You put yourself out there like very effortlessly. And for all the content that I put out, there's the content and then there's me. And those are two different things. And you've helped me muddy that a little bit. Uh, Well, you know, when you're on a reality show running around in your underwear... The things you care about exposing to the world seem very trivial in comparison to like crying constantly on television. But I've always kind of been like that. I figured out a long time ago that nobody cares. Yep. You know what I mean? People think less than you think they do when you trip or you stumble or if you fart in a room full of people. And if you're able to laugh it off, literally nobody thinks twice about it. And now it's just a funny story. I agree. So there was... A big theme throughout this season. I think it's actually the unofficial theme of the season. And it is imposter syndrome. So many of our guests are so damn brilliant and so skilled and have made so many incredible things. And yet they don't feel like they belong on our show amongst the other guests who all feel that they don't belong on our show amongst the other guests. I mean, we're all just figuring it out as it goes. And that's probably why they feel that way. I've had other people who have podcasts come up to me and been like, oh, my God, you've listened to my podcast. I look up to you guys so much. You guys are so professional and polished. And I was like, me? (laughs) Professional (laughs) and polished? (laughs) Steve doing the editing. (laughs) But it's, it's hard to know because when you're in it, it's hard and everything's new and there's no PhD in escape room design. More than that, though, you're just so aware of your own screw ups and the things that you're not good at. I don't know that that's what's driving imposter syndrome. I think what is driving this is that you have people who like Jonathan Driscoll was expressing quite a bit of imposter syndrome to us. He has made some of the most impressive games I've ever seen. They have incredible tech. They're built at incredible scale. They are gorgeous. They are fun. We're running another tour to Montreal, by the way. We'll talk more about that later. Jonathan has nothing to feel imposter syndrome over, but there are things that he has seen other creators do, and he knows that they do better than him in some way, shape, or form. And I think that's the yardstick that people measure themselves with is the things that they see in other creators that they admire and they're things that they're not doing that their team isn't capable of that they're not able to make yeah i mean it's i think it's tough because there isn't necessarily a yardstick for success there's maybe the terpicas the bloggers put out their awards and so there is some type of standard but even people that their rooms are on those lists. They still feel like, I don't know what I'm doing. What am I doing here? I've somehow tricked everyone into thinking my rooms are good or something. It's weird. Yeah, there's a lot of that. And the thing is, I know when we put out an episode, there are things about every episode where I'm like, oh, I should have asked this question differently. I wish we didn't spend so much time on this subject. I wish that I would have thought to go and push back a little bit on this topic. I see the things that I wish that I had done in the moment. And that is something that I just have to accept. That's part of the product we put out. It is edited, but it is live. And what we put out is very much reflective of what we as hosts and our guests make together in this little moment. And I love that. But it also means that I get to look back on it as I listen to it three times during the edit process and say, oh, wow, I have room to grow. What do you think it will take for people to get over imposter syndrome? Is it just a confidence boost? I don't think it's that. 
There are plenty of people in the escape room space who don't have imposter syndrome. There are plenty of people who eagerly decide that they're going to go on stage at some random conference and that they are going to share with the world the gift of their knowledge. And I've played their games and they make okay escape rooms. But these people are not forging the future of what this business does. The people who are operating on the edge tend to be the ones who are feeling this imposter syndrome, the ones who are actually pushing it forward. Is that the secret sauce to be great? Is that you constantly feel like you should be doing better. And so you're constantly pushing the envelope. You're not resting on your laurels and saying, well, this is great. That's a wrap. You're constantly feeling like, oh, that wasn't good enough. Okay. My next one's going to even be bigger and better and constantly push to improve. And so is that why we are constantly shocked that some of the best creators out there are the ones with the biggest imposter syndrome? But in fact, the imposter syndrome is what keeps them making bigger, better, more impressive games. I think to some degree, it is this like double-edged sword superpower thing where the fact that you are striving for more and you are aware that more is possible, the creators who make something amazing and realize that they could do more with it, those people are incredible. It's the creators who make something mediocre and think that it's finished, you know, and it is as good as it possibly ever could be, and then get frustrated with me and Lisa or our reviewers when we roll in and we say, yeah, it's a fine game. Probably wouldn't travel for it again. So it sounds like what we should be trying to do is to recontextualize and not consider it imposter syndrome, but more even yourself, and I'm talking to all the people out there that are feeling this way and realize that none of you are imposters. You're doing the thing. That's more than most people that are like, I have an idea for an escape room. I've never actually done it. So if you've already done it, you're already ahead of the curve. And now it's just about knowing that you can constantly do something better, which is true for anybody. I don't care who you are. There's always room to improve. Yeah. And there's always this limit of how good can I make it for the time that I have, for the budget that I have, for the capacity that I have right this moment. And that's okay. I am really impressed with all of our guests that came on here and admitted that they have imposter syndrome. I think that goes a long way towards helping everyone see that you're not alone in feeling this way. I don't know if I've told this story in the main podcast, but I've told it in bonus episodes when David and I, uh, well, David, Lisa and I were speaking at an immersive conference in Vegas, and I'm seeing these big names that are also speaking on stage, people from Punch Drunk, people from Secret Cinema. And I was really intimidated. And I was like, what am I doing here? Like mega imposter syndrome, right? And two things helped. One was David sitting me down and being like, PG, I promise you, you know more about escape rooms than 90% of the people here. Because that particular conference was immersive experiences overall and not specifically escape rooms. And then the other thing that really helped was about two or three other people that were presenting on stage all prefaced their talks with the same things that I had been saying internally, like, what am I doing on this stage with these big names? And these people were doing really cool, innovative projects. They were wonderful speakers. And I'm like, well, if these people are feeling this way, I'm certainly feeling this way. I'm not alone. And we're all in this together. That's, I think, the answer. There isn't a cure for this feeling because it's a feeling that you get when you are surrounded by incredible people. And when you look at the work that all of these incredible people are doing, it fills you with the joy that they made these things and also makes you look at your own capabilities and say, oh, gosh, I wish I could do that. I wish that I could do the thing that they do. And there are things that PG and I do on this show that I know I've spoken to other folks who like what we do. They wish that they could do some of this stuff. And I look at the things that they do and say, I, would, I wish I could do that. I wish I could build all this tech. I wish I had Jonathan Driscoll's nerve. Jonathan and Sasha have just a steely constitution when it comes to the way that they approach business. And it just fills me with so much awe and admiration. And really all of our guests, the way that Guy Bosco just like casually made 200 escape rooms. And there was a part that was edited out where we were asking him how many games he had made. And he was hemming and hawing over what even 
meant a game? How much did he have to contribute for it to equal a game? Because he had contributed in small to medium ways to so many more than 200. It was an interesting, but not really publishable conversation. Yeah. And that's a really interesting topic you bring up, which leads us into the next topic we wanted to talk about, which is what even is a puzzle? What counts as a puzzle? And this has been an interesting thing also that I've noticed. This topic has popped up on the podcast a few times by quite a few guests, especially ones who don't consider themselves to be in the escape room sector. And we have heard them say, oh, we don't do puzzles. This isn't a puzzle. We don't have puzzles. And I'm like, it is a puzzle. When I talk about wishing that I had asked a follow-up question or pushed back a little bit, and maybe we'll have him back on at some point because I do want to push this conversation deeper. When David Spigner from Bodeborg was on and he was insistent that Bodeborg doesn't do puzzles, I disagree. I disagree that Bodeborg doesn't do puzzles. I think they do. And I just think that puzzle takes all sorts of different shapes and sizes, and they're not all crosswords and Sudoku and logic puzzles. I think that environmental puzzles and physical puzzles are a thing. If you were to take an example from video games, if you take a Dark Souls style game where you have to decode how an enemy attacks and how they move and what their tells are so that you can parry and strike in the right way. That's a puzzle. It's not a traditional puzzle, but there is something that you're figuring out. The interface is different, but the clues are there and they're there for you to decode and interpret and then figure out what you're going to do with them. And Bodeborg is very similar to that. Yeah. And there's a lot of mechanical environmental stuff. My dog does puzzles. (laughs) David (laughs) bought my dog a puzzle. (laughs) It's one of those slow feeders where you hide the kibble in various compartments and some he has to remove with his hands, some he has to slide, some he has to flip the covers off and then flip it back before he can slide it forward. You know, and they get progressively harder where it is like a mechanical puzzle. Like you have to slide this piece back, flip this up and then slide all the other pieces over before you can get a compartment open. And this is a puzzle. Yeah, I don't think that every puzzle needs to announce itself as, hi, I'm a puzzle wearing glasses and a pocket protector and looking all nerdy. Like, I think there's a time and a place for that as well. But I don't think that every puzzle needs to be that. I think that climbing a wall where you have to use handholds that are a particular color, and if you use the wrong color, then you lose the game, which is not actually a board game that I'm aware of, but it's something that could be. That's how bouldering works. Yeah. And in bouldering, they call them problems, I think. Yeah. We talked with Rita Orlov about this. Bouldering problems are a physical puzzle. There are multiple ways to solve it. Sometimes there's only one way, near as I can tell. But yeah, I just think that in my eight years of really studying escape rooms and puzzles and being so immersed in this world, my understanding of what a puzzle is and can be only gets broader every year. Why do you think there's such a pushback on that term? My theory is that they just think it's an intimidating term or that it sounds like a boring term. And that's why they don't want to call what they create puzzles. One of our talks that Lisa and I were giving on a pretty regular basis, we gave this one in a number of different places, was about the nature of what people imagine when they hear the word puzzle. I have been told by so many people over the last eight years, I don't do puzzles. I'm not a puzzle person. I wouldn't like escape rooms. And the question that I ask when people tell me that is, when you say you don't like puzzles, what are you imagining? And the answer is usually crosswords or Sudokus or something that they were given as a homework assignment in the fifth grade and that they did not like. Yeah, a math puzzle or a logic puzzle. Stuff like that. 
I think that puzzle has such a broad definition. And similarly, when I meet people who haven't really played escape room as much, and they tell me that they love puzzles, that they're amazing at puzzles. When people go on Survivor and you hear in their pre-show interviews that they're talking about how great they are at puzzles, very few people are just categorically good at all puzzles. Most people don't even know the breadth of what puzzles are. They are usually meaning I'm good at crosswords or I'm good at Sudoku or I'm good at logic puzzles. They aren't thinking about all of the different forms that this takes, which is why they end up getting wrecked by some of the puzzles that end up on Survivor. I lost every single puzzle challenge I ever had to do. But you're good at Sudoku. (laughs) I am good at Sudoku. One puzzle challenge I had to throw. I'm horrible at jigsaw puzzles when I've just had to like run a 5K in the sweltering sun carrying, you know, 100 pounds of equipment. Uh (laughs) We're taking a moment to thank our sponsor, Morty. Morty is a free app for discovering, planning, tracking, and reviewing escape rooms and other immersive social outings. I believe in Morty so much that I have a stake in it as an advisor. As we wrap up the season, I want to take a moment to reflect on some of our favorite features about Morty. So David, how do you find yourself using Morty the most often? My previous answer to this has always been the wish listing feature, and that is still my favorite feature. But I found a new one recently while we were running the Escape Immerse Explore Tour to New Orleans. And it was following people's reviews of the games they were playing on my tour while they were on the tour. It was like getting instant feedback on the event that we were running. And it felt so, so good to see people loving these games that we were taking them to. Uh, My favorite features for Morty are the play with friends, especially when you start playing with a lot of enthusiasts. It gets hard to find a game that no one else has played that you can all play new together. So being able to filter out previously played games from everyone is so helpful when planning a day of escape rooms. And my other favorite part is that Morty lets me be lazy. I don't even have to track my own escape rooms anymore. Uh, There's one person in my group that is on top of Morty. And at the minute we step out of the room, they've, they've whipped their phones out and they've already marked it as played and they've tagged all of us in it. And it is so convenient. I honestly feel so grateful to Andy and the entire team at Morty for making the escape room app of my dreams. Like I have talked about wanting this type of app for years, ever since I started playing escape rooms. So I just want to say thank you to the team for working so hard to really implement features that enthusiasts and owners alike will find useful. You can learn more at mortyapp.com slash repod. That's R-E-P-O-D to sign up and get a special badge for our listeners. Link and details in the show notes. I do want to take a moment and ask you, how has your style of playing escape rooms changed as a result of this podcast? So since we started this podcast, I've definitely changed in a few ways. Some outside of escape rooms mostly, but inside an escape room, the few biggest changes I've taken to heart is mostly advice from you. So one is being more conscious of my teammates when playing, especially when it comes to solving a puzzle or when I think something cool is about to happen. I still think that's the best advice you ever gave me is to just be more aware, be like, everybody come check it out, come watch. We think this is going to happen. And I'm also trying to fill other people in on what's happening. So it's less confusing if there's multiple tracks, people are working on different things. We try to be better about filling each other in about what has been solved and how it's solved and what we got. We're still working on slowing things down (laughs) because we can't help ourselves. I mean, I went to go do a really cool sit down puzzle game, not an escape room, but you know, there's multiple tables all working on this. And this is not a competition. And for some reason, my team was just screaming through these, like racing through. And we came in second. And again, 
there's no prize. This is not a competition. This is just, you're here to just enjoy this game. And I felt dissatisfied afterwards. I'm like, I really kind of wanted to sit and linger and marvel over the cleverness of some of these puzzles, you know, and be, ooh, oh, that was so smart. And we didn't get to do any of that because we're just racing through to turn these things in and get the next section. And so that is something that I'm trying to work on is slowing things down even more. And so I can really enjoy the experience. This is something that I also continue to work on. I don't know that there's a destination at figuring out exactly what the equilibrium is for speed versus savoring. But at least I can tell you, having been on that journey for a while, it is rewarding. I don't know that I'm there, but I really do enjoy the journey of it. The other thing that I started appreciating more is finding games that do different things, different mechanics. So sometimes even if the game isn't great, I guess because I'm still looking at it from the viewpoint of as a podcaster, you're looking for unusual, for different. And so it doesn't always have to be good. Sometimes if it's different, that's good enough. And it makes an interesting point of conversation to talk about. Sometimes bad things make good conversation fodder. So I've always appreciated a bad story. I'll always do some stupid shit to get a good story out of it. So um, but <laughs> I, I've probably appreciated that even more since we started this podcast. Yeah, for me, I just talk to people differently after spending all of this time interviewing. It has changed the way that I interact conversationally, I think for the better. It's something that I continue to enjoy developing this inquisitive side. Yeah. You know, the other thing that I think has changed me outside of games is just how I think about things in general. This is slightly off topic, but so I got a new puppy. I've been training this puppy. And in reading about training, there are a few schools of thought. One is called luring. That's basically if you want the puppy to go over here, you're going to hold the treat up and guide the puppy to a certain spot with the treat. So that's one way of training. But it's not as effective as shaping, which is you're not going to guide the dog there. But if the dog takes a step towards where you want it to go, you're going to give it a reward. And, mm -hmm. you know, it's like hot or cold. As it gets closer to where it wants to go, you give it another treat. And so eventually it learns to go there on its own. And there's been a lot of studies that says that is more rewarding than luring. Letting the dog figure out which is the direction he should be going in to get the treat. They say that the dogs like light up and retain this information a lot more and they enjoy it more than if you just lure them there with the thing. And I remember thinking about this and I was like, oh, I see this in escape rooms all the time, right? If I'm explicitly told press A, to get B, you know, being given the instructions of how to solve a puzzle isn't that fun. But if you're left to kind of experiment and figure out and you slowly get your small rewards, and again, this goes back to feedback. And I'm like, I can't stop thinking in analogies. And even as I'm doing this puppy training, I'm thinking of how does this relate to escape rooms? How can we use this to build better puzzles and to make a better experience? Because a lot of it is very similar, actually. I remember telling my sister about the training and I didn't even mention the escape thing. She was like, oh, she was like, so when are you going to build an escape room for the dog? <laughs> She's like, that's pretty much what we do in escape rooms. And I was like, you get it. Like she, she totally gets me and my obsession with thinking analytically about escape room design. I love it. So I mentioned that we are hosting a, another tour. Our spring tour is going to be our second trip to Montreal. We're <gasps> featuring Escaparium. We are featuring Sauve And we are featuring Immersia. The creators of Immersia and Escaparium have both been guests on this show. This is one of my favorite places to play escape rooms. It is such a fun tour, and we've really further optimized it this time. I'm very excited about what we have. It also has more games than any tour we've ever hosted. Really? More than the first time you went to Montreal? Yeah, and Lisa has engineered an incredible schedule system for this, where all of the must-play games are on everyone's schedule. Ooh. It's been a real feat. You said that you would optimize this a little bit more. Like, what do you mean by that? So when we first went 
to run Montreal. And this is the same thing that happened the first time we went and ran the New Orleans Baton Rouge tour. We show up and we have a pretty good idea of which games are going to be the most popular, but we don't know for certain. And then also, in some cases, a new game is opened between when we did our prep trip and when we're hosting the tour. Sometimes a new must play game opens up. And once we have run it one time, we come away with the aggregate data and the knowledge about which games were the most popular. And when we do return tours, we then use that data to try and make sure that we incorporate the most popular, most essential games on that. So this means that everyone is playing Rain Corp as well as Voodoo Queen, as well as Wardrobe for Sale at Escaparium. And Everyone is playing Falderon Forest, which when we took the uh, tour to Sovkipa, it was Enchanted Forest. So there are a couple of other things in there that are going to be baked in. But in doing this, we are able to just craft a better experience. Every time we run one of these things, we like to improve upon the product and the experience we give. And we do use the data that we get from the past tours the satisfaction survey data, just the general observation. And we also are communicating with the owners and figuring out what we can do better next time, especially with the folks from the Montreal area. Those owners are super collaborative with us. So it's very easy for us to go and say like, hey, we're going to refactor your schedule on the day that we're going to come in. Is that okay? And they're all like, oh yeah, sure. Just make sure that we have enough reset time. This is how much we need. It's super helpful for us when we have not just companies that are hosting us, but are really collaborating with us. And they are really collaborating with us. I'm jealous. I want to go back because I know Jonathan has made a bunch of changes to quite a few of his games. So I'm really interested to go see what he's done. So you'll have to come back and report. Yeah. And there's a new game from Immersia that Maxime was telling me a little bit about. And it's just about to open. In fact, by the time this airs, it may have just opened or it's coming very shortly after. That's not the game show, is it? No, that's already open and running. But there is another one that I don't want to say anything about because I don't know what's public knowledge at the moment that this is publishing. But I'm very excited. He is very excited. I can't wait to go play it. Okay, so when is the tour? Tickets are on sale now. There are 12 games on the tour, and the dates are May 7th through May 9th. It's a Sunday through Tuesday. It's a three-day tour. It is truly three full days. We're busting out to Sauve-Kipu. We're going to have a big party at Escaparium. They have the best lobby ever with a restaurant and bar. It's a good time. It's a game bar, actually. There's three giant walls of board games that you could just sit and play. And I just had a blast. It was like a mini lobby party from Recon. Yeah, it's a very fun place. And so everyone who comes will get three games at Immersia, five games at Escaparium, and four games at Sovkipu. And Lisa and I will be there to guide you through the experience. Montreal has some of the most premium escape rooms I had such a good time and I loved all the games there. I love all of the tours we take our guests on. I do think this one is among the more special ones. It is just an enchanting set of games and companies. It's a very good time. You do need a passport. Make sure you have a passport. Please have an active passport. And we'll put a link in the show notes to all of the information about this. And if you have questions, you can certainly reach out to us. Escape Tales is a tabletop escape room series with a focus on strong story and puzzles. Their games have weight and atmosphere and the decisions you make along the way change the outcome. They are each crafted by the folks behind Lock Me and the Escape Room World Championship. They really know escape rooms and love them, and it shows in their product. Escape Tales feels about as close to a real-life escape room as you can get on the tabletop.
David, so I know we say this all the time that we only put sponsors on the podcast that we truly believe in. And I want you to know that I put my money where my mouth is. And even though they had sent me all of their games to review before we did this, they had a big sale, a big Black Friday sale. And I went and ordered six of the Escape Tales books, the Book of Rituals, plus two or three of their game, Children of the Wormwoods, using, of course, the amazing discount code they gave us. But I plan on gifting these to different friends and relatives because I honestly loved their games. I thought they were really, really fun puzzle books. I loved the game. I know a lot of people that like going to escape rooms, but because they've got small kids, you know, they don't always have time to go out. Out and do an actual escape room. And I really think this is just about as close as you can get to an escape room at home. And so I'm set for presents. I ordered Children of the Wormwoods for everybody. I wish you had told me about that sale because I didn't realize it was going on until afterwards. <laughs> and I've been meaning to buy those two games because they're the two that I don't have. So I have only heard about them from you, but I've played the previous two. We get asked all the time if we actually vet these sponsors or not, and we truly do. We don't advertise unless we believe in the product. And yeah, you'll catch us playing Escape Tales. You truly should be as well, because the 25% discount code that they are offering is really meaningful. It's ridiculous. I think it's just about the best value in a game that you can get out there. It's huge, and there's 10 hours or more of gameplay. Agreed. We're going to be playing one of these over New Year's, and I'm looking forward to it. You can buy any installment of the Escape Tale series at store.boardanddice.com. Board and Dice is now shipping from both the United States and the European Union, so your games will not get held up in customs. You can learn more at boardanddice.com details in the show notes. Over the season, we've gotten a lot of feedback and some voicemail messages and some comments. So PG has been collecting and gathering that stuff. Figure we'll uh, explore it a little bit. Yeah, people have really been enjoying this season. One, I think in large part because it's been all escape rooms, all escape rooms all the time. And for me, it's been a joy. It's been a blessing a slight bit of curse because sometimes I'm like, are we repeating the same things too much? But overall, for me, it has been really fun to just dig into escape rooms and especially escape rooms globally. And a lot of our listeners have felt the same way, especially I know some listeners that are owners have told me that they particularly enjoyed this season because they can relate so much to it. Right. It's all about escape rooms and owners and creators and designers. So that part has been really fun. And then seeing some of the different viewpoints of people from different countries has been really enlightening as well. Yeah, it's been fun kind of doing this little globe hopping interview series. It has certainly been a very big challenge for me as the researcher and kind of sculptor of questions to figure out how we can lead each guest into a different direction when it is also entirely possible and would be very easy to have very similar conversations with all of them. Yeah, I'm impressed that you managed to make every episode, every interview sound a little different. I'm also impressed with how you managed to do research because as faithful listeners know, David goes down the rabbit hole when he's researching for these episodes and he watches and listens to almost every interview that interviewee, that guest has given because he wants to ask new and refreshing questions and to get some background. And a lot of times he'll come up with, you know, some fact about them and they're like, I can't believe you know this about me. It's a little bit stalkerish. Uh, <laughs> but, but the fact that most of our guests are from countries where English is not their native language. I'm like, I don't even know how you began to do research on any of our guests. It was very difficult. Thankfully, we had played a number of the games from some of the creators and the creators who we hadn't played games with we had people within our orbit who had played very smart people who would give some assistance in terms of figuring out what would be interesting topics of conversation that wouldn't become too spoilery 
it was in some cases just really hard. Like in the case of Lucas from Crime Runners in uh, Vienna or Dimitri from Paradox Project in Greece, these guys had done plenty of interviews in German and in Greek, respectively. And I could not understand anything in those interviews. So I didn't really have so much to go on. Occasionally, I would find like descriptions of the YouTube video that I could throw through Google Translate and figure out that Lucas was talking about pipeline game design. And I could use that to go and piece together that he had done that in going underground and then be prepared to go and talk to him about pipelining in that episode. It was much more detective work than the typical deep dive research that I have become known for. Yeah, this was, I think, really good timing to do a global theme for a podcast because travel is opening back up. And I think as people are starting to make travel plans, it's fun to be able to go listen to an episode and be like, I want to go to Greece now. Now I want to go to Austria and try Crime Runners. And you can maybe plan your holidays around some of these countries that the guests are from. I certainly know that's what I'm doing. I'll probably be going to Greece for my next trip. Our work here is done. I've I've been influenced. We have some comments from some of our listeners. Ben Rosner says, Hey, loved this season of the podcast. Getting participants from different countries for each episode was a great idea. And I enjoyed getting to hear about regional similarities and differences. Can you share if you have similar plans for an overarching theme for season five of the podcast? Looking forward to listening to plenty more interviews in the future. So PG and I haven't actually talked about season five in any meaningful way because we've been sprinting to the end of this season. What I can say is that I think we'll do more themes in the future. This upcoming season, I want a little bit more flexibility and freedom to take this in some different directions. The rigidity can be fun for a time. But there's so many wonderful and interesting creators from related verticals that I am so excited to try and get on the show. Yeah, I like having a theme. This was broad enough, right? It's all escape rooms, but globally. So that was pretty broad and it gave us a big sandbox to play in. I do like the idea of themes. And I think when we come up with something that we can get enough of a variety of guests on, I actually would be happy to do it because it is interesting to explore things along the lines of one similar theme. And if any listeners have ideas, suggestions, something that you would like to hear, please email us, message us and let us know. Leave a voicemail. Yeah, I will say that the idea for this season was born out of the survey that we ran at the end of last season where we asked people for feedback. And someone, I do not know who, left a pretty critical comment that our guests were very US-centric. And there was a reason for it. The reason was that it is easier for us to edit native English speakers when we're constructing these episodes. And I had to limit the number of episodes where I was editing non-native English speakers in the first couple of seasons because it took so much more time and I was so bad at it. And Steve coming along and helping us figure out a more effective pipeline for editing episodes and helping us get better sound quality out of our guests, which also helps with the edit... There were a whole bunch of different things that happened that helped us make this season possible with the time that we have and the budget that we have. But yeah, the feedback really does get taken to heart. I started editing the bonus episodes. Yeah, PG taking on bonus episode editing has been incredible. And also the bonus episodes are stronger than ever because of it. So thank you for that. It's been really fun, actually. I don't know if you guys noticed any patrons who do subscribe and listen to the bonus episodes, but I had a lot of fun putting in sound effects and music when it seemed appropriate sometimes. So it was a really fun learning exercise for me and learning how to edit podcasts. And frankly, 
it made me a better podcaster because having to listen to yourself and you start to see your speech patterns. And I have a tendency to talk really fast. And I started talking like Aspira after having to edit myself because... David is extremely easy to edit because he parses his words so carefully. And there are giant <laughs> gaps in between every word. And it's very easy to edit him. <laughs> so anyway, yes, feedback is always welcomed and encouraged. And we really do use it as evidenced by this season. Who else do you have comments from, BG? Do you want to play the voicemail? Sure. We have a voicemail from Brett Keener, who has left messages for us before. I have not listened to this one, as I traditionally don't listen to these until we hit play. I haven't quite finished all of this season's episodes, but I'm really enjoying the variety, both geographic and in terms of subject matter. It's been especially interesting to learn about the differences in regional design styles and business constraints. Thanks for finding so many great guests, all of whom, as you say in your intros, really know their stuff. Thanks, Brett. I think that message, as he so frequently does, really just captures what we were going for with this season. Thank you for getting what we were striving for. He mentioned something that I also really appreciate from this season, which is how candid so many of our guests were about the inner workings of their business models and frankly, about struggles that they had financially with business partners. and. It was really cool to get an insider's look behind the scenes, you know, of people that are running the actual business. They're not sugarcoating things. They're not like, let me come on this podcast and do like a sales pitch for how awesome I am. They came on and spoke from the heart and really gave us an inside look into the business. And I really appreciate that for a number of reasons. I think that, again, for a lot of owners that listen to the podcast, that imposter syndrome, these people who are making amazing things have imposter syndrome, just like you do. And not only that, everyone has crises and struggles in their business. They seem really big and successful on the outside, but everyone's dealing with something. And I really appreciate the courage it took for them to come on and be so candid with us. I agree. I think that two of the most important episodes we have made thus far came out of this season. One was Tasha's story, and that was important for reasons that had next to nothing to do with escape rooms. But Dino Paolo's episode, Dino from South Africa, he came on and talked to us at length about the financial fraud committed against his company by a business partner. That was a very important message. And I've definitely chatted with people who heard that and said, you know, I never really took accounting seriously and I now realize I have to. And that is maybe the most important thing we've done from a business perspective. So thanks, Dino. Yeah. I know you're listening. It's a business. You have to run it like that. Even though maybe it's a project you started with your friends, right? I know a lot of escape rooms out there are still kind of mom and pop shops. You're doing this with your loved one. You're doing it with your friends and family. But at the end of the day, it is a money-making endeavor. And if you want to survive, you've got to get your books straight. Very true. Who else do we have? I've got a review. We Thank you so much, by the way. David and I read all of your reviews. We really appreciate them. And I didn't want to bore you with too many of them, but I just picked the newest one. This is from Bedlam and Drudgery. Room Escape Artist is the destination website for all things escape room and related immersive games, even for ones at home. And they bring a lot of that breath and insight to the podcast, interviewing people you won't hear from anywhere else in conversations that enthusiasts and creators will likely find very entertaining. If I had one complaint, it is that they don't cover more of the at-home experiences simply because those are readily accessible to us all. But that's more my preference than their fault. Well, I will say this. In all of our previous seasons, I have tried to make sure that we've had some amount of at-home experiences covered in each season, primarily because of the accessibility of it all. So I will commit to you this. There will be more. 
I'm not necessarily committing to doing a whole season. We'll see as things take shape, but there will most definitely be more people who create experiences that you can enjoy from home. And thank you so much for the review. And if you haven't had a chance to drop a five-star review for us on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, we really appreciate this. This means the world to us. Helping us get the message out about this show is a free thing that you can do if you like what we're producing. And it means more than I think you realize. PG, you made us a game. I have made a game. It is Guess That Podcast. So in this game, each puzzle is going to be a podcast described only using emojis. Some of them may be obvious. Some of them may really be a stretch involving homophones or puns or what have you. And sometimes it may refer to the title. Sometimes it may refer to the content that we discussed in the podcast. I tried to go a little bit all over the place with this. I didn't want to make it too easy. Got to keep you guessing on a few of those. And no looking at the podcast, no pulling up the podcast titles, no referencing the list. You got to do this from memory. Okay. So to make sure I've got this right, each one of these is representing the guests and the shows we have put on this season. I have used emojis to describe something to do with an episode. Okay. <laughs> so and these will be available in the show notes as well for everyone to play at home. So you can pull that up. All right, David, let's start with number one. Can you describe the emojis? So it looks like a doctor and some kind of piece of chemistry equipment. I'm guessing this is the doctor and the alchemist. Ding! Correct! Episode 3, The Doctor and the Alchemist. Creative Game Mechanics with Leanne Yong and Aaron Hooper of Next Level, Australia. All right, I got one. Okay. <laughs> the second one is a video game controller and a duck. Um, is that the recon recap? No. Okay. I was guessing that because the rubber duck has become sort of a uh, recon mascot. What is games and... Ducks. Oh, 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 oh. It's Project Avatar. <laughs> it is indeed Project Avatar. It is a video game controller and Uchia Duck. <laughs> Episode 9, Ukrainian Resilience. Tasha, creator of Project Avatar from Ukraine. Okay. The next one, I see a set of house emojis beside a castle. Houses and castles is... I feel like all of these were so obvious when I made them, and now I know how so many puzzle creators feel, because they're like, this is so obvious, and everyone's like, what the hell <laughs> is this supposed to be? Is this Bodeborg? It is Bodeborg! Ding! <laughs> okay. Was that the house that they were staying at, and the kind of castle, like the Borg part of Bodeborg? I was technically just trying to make Bodeborg, which in that episode, David asks David what Bodeborg means. And he explains that Boda is the name of a town and Borg means castle or fort. I was trying to just Bodeborg. It's a town and then a castle. Okay. Our next one. The emojis are a rocket ship, a fan, and pizza. I'm going to confidently guess that this is Guy Bosco's episode. That's right. That is episode seven, Fandoms and Foodies. Prolific escape room designer Guy Bosco from Israel. Okay. The next one, we have money flying away and a person running. This is definitely Crime Runners. <laughs> episode 11 lucas of crime runners in austria david those were the easy ones now now we're really getting into the meaty stuff all right so we have a trophy a kimono and a sailboat and i'm not really sure what to do with that can i come back to it you can come back to it this is a very convoluted one i'm sensing that 
I really like this. It's not a trophy. I will tell you this much. It is an award. Okay. It's an award. I'm going to come back to it anyway, because I, I want to keep this moving. All right. Number seven, I see three different clock emojis. And I do believe that is in reference to the three hour games of Greece. That's right. Episode two, Paradox Project Greece, Dimitri and the three hour escape room. Okay. The next one, number eight, is a cat and a chicken. Cat a, and a chicken. So it's a rooster. Okay. And what do roosters have that chickens don't have? <laughs> <laughs> this is so stupid. <laughs> what is that mohawk on its head? Feathers? What is it? Do you know what it's called? No. <laughs> <laughs> it is a coxcomb. A comb. Catacombs. <laughs> I just learned something. <laughs> if you hadn't helped me with that, I was never getting there. I know. I know. Well, because I, didn't, I feel like it was getting too easy. So I'm like, I had to throw a couple curveballs in there. <laughs> I'm appreciating it. <laughs> it is Catacombs from episode four, Holistic Game Design with Alexander, creator of the Amsterdam Catacombs in the Netherlands. Okay. <laughs> So do you want me to go back to six now? Okay. Now that you see the kind of craziness I've come up with. So I will also tell you that is a kimono in that emoji, but that's because there was no emoji for a robe. <laughs> okay. Award robe sailboat. <laughs> Award robe sailboat. Are you doing a wordplay? Or are you doing, oh, a wardrobe <laughs> for sale? <laughs> you like that was actually my favorite yeah. one. <laughs> that is impressive. So that is episode five, Epic Proportions, Jonathan Driscoll and Sasha St. Dennis, owners of Escaparium in Canada. Yes. Okay. For number nine, we have a check mark. And then inside parentheses, it has a kitchen knife, a stone, and then it says equals fire. My gut on this is we're using the knife and flint to make fire. But I'm not thinking that this is Dino's because I can see what the next one looks like. Well, what about the first emoji? Does that the help you make sense of it? Check. That's not what you called it when you first said it. A check mark? Check. Oh, this is Mark Flint. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Nice. <laughs> you see, when you said check mark right away, and I was like, ooh, and I got all excited. I was like, <laughs> okay. <laughs> yes, that is episode eight expansion and hospitality. Mark Flynn, CEO of the Escape Game USA. Okay. Number 10, we have a black circle, then a light bulb, then a bow and arrow, then a campsite, and then an arrow moving forward and i do believe that this is a reference to the title black lights and blind sides for dino paolo's episode <laughs> yes episode six black lights and blind sides dino paolo survivor of south africa and owner of hint hunt africa okay and the last one the last one is a electrical plug and then a detective with a magnifying glass. I do believe that this is reconnecting with Recon. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes, episode one. And this was our Recon Boston recap. This was fun, PG. This is my favorite little random segment that only occasionally happens of PG made a game. All right. So we are going to go and bring this thing in for a landing soon. One of the questions that we have been asking all of our guests this season is to spread the love and share a game from where they're from that they loved. 
PG, you and I have decided that we're both going to go and share something that's far away from us and something that's local to us. And we're going to do this real quick. You want to go first? Yeah. This year, I went to the Netherlands and I played Molly's Game, which has shot up to my number one game of all time. It is enormous. The owners there basically took two escape rooms, knocked it all down and made one giant room. So just for sheer size alone, I loved crazy special effects, a lot of reveals. It was just really special. I really loved it. Awesome. For me, my long distance game, we were recently in Quebec City. We played a number of really fun games there, but the new game at Olivier Escape is called Abstraction, and Abstraction is the real deal. That's all I'm going to say. Okay. And then locally, we recently played a game called The Wonderful Wizard of Oz at 13th Hour Escapes in Wharton, New Jersey. We've previously taken a tour there. They opened this one up just a couple months ago, and I found it quite delightful. It's probably my new regional favorite. All right. It was really hard to narrow it down to one, but I think my favorite game is Weeping Witch, the new game from Crossroads Escape Rooms down in Anaheim in California. And I was beyond terrified. The special effects are crazy and the puzzles were really complex and engaging. Most escape rooms wouldn't probably do such complex puzzles in a scary escape room. And they took a chance and they did it and it paid off because I just loved it. But it is very scary. Okay. I look forward to checking that out at some time in the not that distant future. Okay. Another question that we always ask our guests, it's one of the few absolutely always asked questions is what comes next? And for us, we're working on season five. We'll be working on that through the winter months. We've talked a little bit about what is and isn't happening there, so we'll leave it at that. The other thing that you may have noticed is that we have been making some really big changes to roomescapeartist.com. We're adding a lot of new things, hopefully over the next few months. So keep your eye out for that, and please do pardon the dust. Things might get a little bit buggy before they get better. We've also been tossing around some ideas for different podcast segments, anywhere from um, Survivor and gaming mashup podcasts, thinking about putting some stuff out on YouTube. And we're thinking about maybe doing some more Twitch streaming, playing some online puzzle games together on live stream. So these are all different projects that have been up in the air for a while. If any of these sound like something that you would really like to see come to life, please let us know because we're still trying to decide where to focus our energy. Yeah, there are a lot of options in front of us and we're just trying to figure out which one makes the most sense right now. And then if you want more of my voice in your ears, you can check out the Cool Tools podcast, my episode with Kevin Kelly, who was the original founder of Wired Magazine. This is his podcast and YouTube series where he interviews people who make things about their favorite tools. I had the pleasure of spending a solid 45 minutes chatting with him. Normally, the episodes are like half the length and they're really just focused on the tools, but he was very excited to talk about escape rooms. And so once you give me that opportunity, you're going to be having a longer conversation about escape rooms. Have you made a new convert? He most certainly was a fan to begin with, and I think provided him with some knowledge and some tools to help him enjoy them more when he travels and hopefully helped a few other people find their way towards our community. Awesome. We'll put a link to that in the show notes as well. All right. We have reached the end. It is thank you time. PG, thank you for being such a wonderful partner on this journey. Oh, David, so sweet. No, thank you for including me 
on this. This has been such a blessing in my life. I probably spend more time on this than I do on anything else. And it is so rewarding and enjoyable. And I love the community. I love all the patrons. The first thing I do every morning is I check the Discord and I like to see what new and interesting discussions you guys are having. Even though I lurk, I don't chat that much, but it's really, really fun. Thank you guys for creating such a warm and welcoming community of escape room enthusiasts. Thank you to everyone who supports this, our Patreon supporters. Thank you to Steve Ewing, our podcast editor, to my wife, Lisa, who really keeps this train moving forward. Oh, she glues it all together. (laughs) Yeah. And to the entire Room Escape Artist team, there are a lot of you doing a lot of different things and we appreciate y'all. We will see you all next season. The Reality Escape Pod is produced by Lisa Spira, edited by Steve Ewing of Stand Inside Media, and brought to you by RoomEscapeArtist.com, your home for well-researched, rational, and reasonably humorous escape room and immersive gaming content and events. Hi folks, it's that time again, you know the one where we ask you to back us on our Patreon. Now I know that everyone has Patreon request fatigue. I have it too. And I know that you're used to hearing that it takes a lot of work to make this content and that the money goes a long way. But it really is true. All of the things that we're doing take a lot of time, a lot of effort, a lot of money. And the support that we get from our Patreon community is invaluable. If you have the money available and love what we're doing, please do consider backing us on Patreon. It means more than I think you realize. Thanks. If you have been enjoying the content on Reality Escape Pod, David and I would really appreciate a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcast or Spotify. It really goes a long way towards helping us market the podcast and growing this podcast. We'd like to take a moment to thank our highest tier sponsors, Derek Tam, Breakout Games, Jonathan Driscoll, Pat Tupin, Rex Miller, Paula Swan, Scott Olson, and Byron Delmonico. So in Los Angeles, there is an escape room company, Scenario Escape Rooms, and they have two rooms. One is the Mad Rapper, which is a really cool kind of urban hip hop themed game. And their newest one is called Dr. Hater Loses. And it comes still from the same era of like, it's a 90s themed room. And I had the proudest moment in there because there comes a point where you have to learn to use pager code. And there is a book in there with an alphabet. And if you did not grow up in the 90s, you probably have no idea what I'm talking about. But if you've ever spelled boobs on a calculator or hello, you know what I'm talking about. You would put 03774. And if you turn it upside down, it looks like the word hello. Or if you want to spell boobs, it would be 58008. And this room was using pager code as one of its puzzles. And it had a book with the alphabet. And I didn't even need to use the book. I knew the entire pager code alphabet by heart from my teenage years in the 90s. And this was probably one of the proudest moments that I had in an escape room. 